nationally and internationally. Now, of course, on a local level, even backing away from national and or international, you'll see tonight that one of those churches, which is in the process of being developed, Urban Harvest Fellowship, Pastor Jason Vaden, you'll see tonight what we're doing in attempting to develop local churches. And not just ourselves. Urban Harvest Fellowship is also partnering with a couple of other churches to be able to see that church develop, and Lord willing, even out from that church, other churches develop from them. And that, of course, has been the desire and goal and distinction of the Bible Church of Little Rock, far less than we would have liked over the years, and I trust far more in the future. For instance, the Bible Church of Cabot was birthed out of the Bible Church of Little Rock 30 years ago or more. And recently, one of the associations that I have had with a good friend, Pastor Brian Rickett, who has now developed a local church in partnership with other churches, including my level of involvement. In fact, Pastor Tim Sen and I went uh, to that church location recently and participated, along with Dr. John Street of the Master's College, in an ordination ceremony of Pastor Brian Rickett. And so we're involved in those kinds of churches. That church, by the way, is the Bible Church of B.B. It's not necessarily the plan for us to name all of these churches like ourselves, but it is the plan to be able, as a church and as churches, to develop churches. We believe that's biblical. We believe that's a mandate. And yet it begs the question again, how does a local church begin? And I think in order to answer that question first, we need to know how the body of Christ, the church, first began. And so I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, and I want to take you on a panoply of passages from our New Testaments to find out the answer to the question about how local churches began in the first century and how local churches begin in the 21st century. You remember the very clear words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, in which he says in verse 13, or at least is recorded about him until his own words, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, that was a divine revelation that came from the mouth of God to the ear of Peter, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is affirming that. And then Jesus, in his own words, says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the revelation that Peter has received, the rock that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I, Jesus says, will build my what? church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, giving the apostles, Peter, of course, being the chief spokesman, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, why wouldn't he have said right then and there and go distribute this message far and wide? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't time. There are a few things that needed to occur. The most namely of which, of course, is what? The cross. The cross. And in fact, you go to Matthew chapter 28 that we read earlier, and you find that after that cross, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, now is the time to proclaim that message. And Jesus tells his 11 disciples, now I want you to go to Jerusalem. 
And after you have gone to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus would have directed them, then they were ultimately to go to Jerusalem. And we'll find that out in a moment. And they saw him, and they worshipped him there in the mountain on Galilee, even though some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end, even to the end of the age. So Jesus tells you and me through those disciples that he's going to build his church. Okay? The gathering under his name. And then, through a process of time, he's going to die on a cross. He's going to languish on that cross and then be buried in a tomb as a dead man. And then he's going to rise to affirm, to attest to the fact that he is Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, Peter's affirmation of God's revelation is true indeed in history and in space and in time. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And he tells these disciples, you go to, you go to Galilee and on this mountain I will declare something to you. And what he declares is the great commission of the church. But there's more to come. There's more that needs to happen. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And this is what needs to happen. And we call it, of course, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, there were other Pentecosts after that. And there were certainly Pentecosts before that. But this one was unique. And I dare say, unrepeatable. Because at this particular Pentecost is the actual fulfillment of the very words of Jesus and for which the disciples now can carry out His Great Commission message. And that is actually for the first time in human history and for the only time in human history, unrepeatable is this event and this is indeed the birth of the church. This is the birth of of the church that Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he was going to promise to build. Here it is. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's the Great Commission. that's, That's the very command in pinnacle form that he had given them, right? He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, only a few days. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And in a sense, you could say to yourself, because we all know this now, because of later revelation, they were off a bit. They were assuming that there wasn't this thing that he was calling the church, but that really there was going to be an uninterrupted bliss for the kingdom of Israel because now Jesus as the enthroned king would actually take over the Roman oppression. He would smash their oppression and that he would restore the kingdom because the king has now been enthroned. And they didn't realize something. And that something was this. That there was to be this glorious organism that would not replace the kingdom of Israel, but would in fact become the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with literally millions and millions of people around the globe. Isn't that amazing? I mean, they, they couldn't have in any way understood that. Not at least in terms of the full implications of that. And so what does, what, 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 what is it said? What is the response? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
This is what the king says. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That implicitly, very easily gives both the commission to the church and the very establishment of the church right here, right there, because that's what God's agency is in the world today. He is building His church. And His witnesses started in Jerusalem, and they've gone into Judea and Samaria, and we are going to the end of the earth so that the church could be built and blessed by Jesus Christ, the church's head. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So, in a precursing fashion, here it is. Here's the precursor. I want you to be in Jerusalem. I want you to wait. There are some days that will intervene and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And what will be birthed is the church, the body of Christ. Not this idea of the kingdom of Israel being replaced. Not just this idea of the kingdom of Israel vanquishing its Roman oppressor with Jesus the Messiah taking over literally in Jerusalem at that time, having been raised from the dead. There was something else. And here it is. The church. Look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and those are those few days now having been eclipsed, here it is. Pentecost has arrived just as God wanted it to be done in His divine plan. They were all together in one place, these small band of disciples and those following them, maybe about 120. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember, that was the promise. That was the promise. And now it's being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound... The sound of all these languages being spoken, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. No. This isn't some ecstatic experience. This isn't some mystical uh, mystical worship gathering. This is the birth of the body of Christ. And that's why, my friends, this is unrepeatable. Because this was, in its unique elements on this particular day in Pentecost, the birth of the body of Christ. Not, Not the physical body of Christ. You know what I mean. The spiritual body of Christ, where believers, and this is the seed group, are going to be added day after day after day. And it began there, and it's continuing on through now, and it will continue on until the end of the age, until every elect person is gathered from the four winds, and the body of Christ is full in its completeness and its totality, and then the end shall come. This is... The most unique event in the life and history of the church. It's beginning. It's starting. It's establishment. You say, how does the local church begin? How do local churches begin? Well, they may begin in different forms and ways and fashions. But they all find their origin here. In the body of Christ being formed before 
our eyes. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and the first half of this prophecy is coming true right before their very eyes and then Peter preaches the gospel Men of Israel, hear these words, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know what comes immediately on the heels of the birth of the church? The preaching of the gospel. Evangelistic preaching. That's it. That's the priority. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's great commission language, isn't it? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then verse 41, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is miraculous. This is stunning. This is glorious. This is magnificent. You're, you're watching as you read these pages and can see in your mind these realities, the birthing of the body of Christ, the church. It's amazing. Look at chapter 4. Verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they, they didn't like this message. They didn't like this group of people. They came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. By the way, there's another great commission aspect, isn't it? Teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Here it is. Teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And I think it says there the number of men, which gives you an indication that most of those men would have been married, they would have had families, that the church is growing, right? The church is growing. Even though we haven't really even heard the word church, unless we go back to Matthew 16, right? So this is, this is the church in its infancy. It's not even really being called church or churches, at least at this point. Look at verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's preaching, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, I tell you this, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well, the man who was healed. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, the cornerstone of the church. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the gospel. Churches developing churches, how does it start? How does it begin? 
by the preaching evangelistically of the gospel. Okay, both by evangelistic preaching from a lectern, a pulpit in front of a crowd in a marketplace or individual proclamations of the gospel by personal evangelism. That's where it starts. Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter four. And when they prayed because they had received this this persecution and when the Gentiles were being saved as well. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Ah, yes. Now, the full number, verse 32, of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The apostolic doctrine, testifying to the gospel of Christ, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. This is, this is all before what you and I would be comfortable and familiar with when we talk about churches, local churches. Here it is. Here are the seed elements of it. Verse 17 of Acts 5. High priest rose up and all were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. They didn't like that apostolic doctrine and, and put them in the public prison. They, they didn't like that doctrine. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You know what? God was saying miraculously so. Go right back out there and keep preaching the gospel. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They were obedient to what God had told them to do. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to those to have, been, to have them brought. And of course, they weren't there because they were preaching. That's always the, the message. Look at verse 30. Here's the message. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That was their commission. That was the apostolic commission. Acts chapter one. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be endued with power. And so go and preach my message. And even when they lock you up, I'm going to miraculously open the doors and send you right out there, right in the temple, and begin teaching again this apostolic message. And verse 42 says, and every day, don't you love that? That was everyday obedience. Everyday obedience. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And then you're beginning to see that local churches are being formed, right? House churches. Because in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, there was a question about the serving of widows, their food. But the apostles said, verse 4, we, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so now you're seeing the form and the structure of these local congregations taking shape. And what is that shape? Well, the apostles have a priority, and their priority is prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this is what they need to do. They need to appoint deacons, and so now you have these sort of proto-deacons, those who would later become installed in the office of deacons. And here they are, verse 5. And, and what they said about the, the serving of tables and the ministering in service and ministry to the, to the flock, when they, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles... And, and they, these, excuse me, they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The church is just growing by leaps and bounds. And now there's form and structure that's taking place. Look at chapter 8. 
This is a, this is a biblical theology of the church and how the church starts. According to the historical book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of the execution of Christians. Sadly so. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But isn't that interesting? That even though that's happening, that too is in the divine plan of God. Because when they are all scattering, guess where the gospel goes? Wherever they scatter. Because God tells them, you need to preach. And when He scatters them through persecution... The, the, the persecutors think that they're stamping out Christianity, but what they're really doing is they're spreading Christianity. It's amazing, the plan of God. And Saul was ravaging the church, according to verse 3, and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those, verse 4, who were scattered went about preaching the word. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul... This persecutor of the church, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, we haven't yet heard officially the word church, right? But now we're hearing about the way. You see it capitalized in your Bibles? Capitalized for a reason. The way. This, this is the, the group that may have called themselves the way or had this term placed upon them, this is the group of believers who are growing, and now there are a multitude of at least 10,000 people, if you count men and women, children, then more, and now this group called the Way is spreading, and Saul and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all of those who are in religious leadership in Israel don't like this a bit, And so what they do is they're breathing out violence and they're trying to persecute and kill and imprison to stamp this movement out. But the way is growing. And of course, as you know, Acts chapter 9 goes on to say that Saul himself was smacked down on the Damascus road and he realizes in an instant that which I'm persecuting is the way. The way. Verse 17. Ananias, whom the Lord told to go to Saul, and he was greatly reluctant for obvious reasons, departed, entered the house, laying his hands on Saul, Saul Paul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you that, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he, then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And what does he do? Immediately begins to preach. Instant calling. Instant calling. This is This is amazing. In fact, verse 21 says that. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, this name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, that is to persecute, to bring them bound before the chief priests? I mean, are you sure? Yes, totally sure. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? Multiplied like rabbits. Just on and on and on and on. Persecution was breeding growth. It was wonderful, marvelous, magnificent The very promise of Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, I will build my church, is coming to fruition in spades. It's just happening all over the place. It's just wonderful. Look at chapter 11. Or excuse me, chapter 10. Verse 34. Here's that apostolic preaching. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, and in every nation among anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen of God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's amazing. It's the apostolic mission. message. You want to you start a church? How do churches develop churches? How do they structure churches? How do they establish them? You must preach the apostolic message. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the pagans, not just the Jews. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. This is... This is an amazing message. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now this is amazing now. Watch this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the church is growing, and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Right there, right there. Don't miss that. Very important. You have the first instance of ascending process. Okay? Now, this is, this is a church sending a brother to another location, right? It's finding Christians, preaching the gospel. Places are being built up of believing people gathering together. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And even verse 25 says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with what? The church. There you go. There we have it. The church. And taught a great many people. So now you know that there are functioning churches. It doesn't have to say church on every single page for us to get the point. We got the point. That churches are being established. And so there's this church in Antioch. And in Antioch, notice this, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians, followers of Christ. The way, Christians. A couple of different terms to describe those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. Isn't that wonderful? They're called Christians. And so these Christians are designed to respond to the message of the gospel both in terms of preaching it themselves and then living it out in their lives. Look at chapter 12. And about the time Herod, verse 1, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. There's another reference to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. See, there's an established church right there. And now, what is one of their ministries? Prayer. Prayer. They're praying to God for Peter's sustenance and potentially his release. And look at chapter 13, verse 1. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now we see there are prophets and teachers. There's a, there's a leadership band developing, right? There, there had to have been some kind of process, right, for the recognition and installation of, of, of teachers, right? Right? Because it says 
There were teachers there, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, and the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul's a teacher. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is what we call the Antiochian model of establishing the church. The church of Antioch serves as a wonderful model. The Holy Spirit's leading through His church through the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've set them out to do. What kind of work? Churches, like Antioch, developing churches. That's the plan. That's the work. That's what they're setting themselves out to do. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. They're, they're preaching the gospel. And they are working toward the possibility of establishing churches. Look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, that through this man, excuse me, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him... Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now, they didn't like that. But some of them, for whom the Lord was drawing to Himself, said this, verse 42, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust to decide and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And according to verse 28, when the Gentiles heard it, they began to rejoice, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. Jesus is building his church. And he continues to do so today by the apostolic preaching of the gospel. Every message from this pulpit, every opportunity for personal evangelism that you have, you and I are carrying the baton of the building of the church under Jesus our Lord and as many as are appointed to eternal life believe. And they're added to the church. Churches developing churches. This is amazing. Look at chapter 14. You say, is he going to go through the entire book of Acts? Maybe. Acts 14, 7. And they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. In other words, every time he preached the gospel, there's persecution. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And many commentators believe he actually did die and was raised from the dead. Amazing. God still wants his messenger. And what did he do? Did Paul say, wow, that's a close call, or passed a close call? What does he do? The disciples gathered about him and rose up, entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derbe. I'll just preach somewhere else. Preach the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Can you read into that, verse 21, that a church was established in Derby? Of course. Of course, it doesn't say all of that, but notice what verse 23 does say. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with fasting and prayer, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Yes. And, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. In other words, they went back to the church and gave a report. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. 
Chapter 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that is, obviously the Jews, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And there are swirling questions. Verse 3, so being, away, so being sent on their way by the church, more commissioning, more developing, more establishings going on. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Look at the first part of verse 22. And after they'd met in this council, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, that structure, that's form, that shape, with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. See this sending, this establishing, this working, this form, this structure. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. That means they're equipping, they're discipling men, maturing them up in the faith, sending them out in the days to come. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Follow up, follow up, discipleship, seeking the maturity of the brothers. That's, that's what's going on here. Look at chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen a vision, a vision to come over to Macedonia, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why was there a divine vision? Why the need? Because God said, I want a church there. I want a church established there. And I want you to go over there. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom. See the pattern now? And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You see, he didn't just come in with his suit and a sermon and, and get into the evangelical pulpit. There wasn't one. There wasn't a building. They were all meeting small groups in individual homes because they had no buildings and they were suffering great persecution, at least from the Jews, and probably scorn from their fellow pagans, Gentiles, and so what they had to do, maybe even sometimes in cloak of night, come in, and then boom, you go into the temple, and if you, if you get the opportunity, you open up the scriptures, you unscroll them, and you say, Jesus is the Christ. And then you watch and duck. And for three Sabbaths, and Paul is being used of the Lord to birth the greater vitality and reality of the church. It's amazing, these things. Look at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed. Why? Because it was absolutely consistent with the Scriptures that they had been reading with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And, of course, it stirs up the crowd. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Effective evangelism, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Boom, church. It's amazing. You said, but what about their Sunday schools? Didn't they have a Sunday school? Didn't they have men's ministry, women's ministry? I mean, they had all those things in time. But the first point is what? Evangelize. Church is birthed. You got a church. 
Then you say, what do we do? Establish, install, affirm leaders. And then you do all the things that churches ought to be doing. Look at verse 18. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer, and he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. And he came to Ephesus. Yes, he came to Ephesus. Look at chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Boom, 12 more added to the kingdom. And he entered the synagogue, verse 8, for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Amazing. He just keeps preaching doing what he should do. Verse 20, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Verse 23, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I bet. Acts chapter 20, verse 1, And the uproar ceased. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. He was, he was trying to move deftly in and through the persecution and the threats and the violence. Why? To continue his mission to preach the word. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. This is what he says, at least in part. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That's talking about the church in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, their structure, theirs leadership to care for and hear the church of God, which he obtained, purchased with his own blood. Now you're really, really beginning to see a church being formed and set and helped and constructed and built up. And then go to chapter 26. I cheat a little bit. Verse 27. I hope you just see this this historical sweep of which you and I are a part. This is your heritage, my friends. This is where you come from. This This is... This is your grandfather, your grandmother in the faith all the way back. I love this. Acts 26, 27. King Agrippa, Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? You see, it's apparently well known now. These are Christians and you're trying to make me be one. Verse 29. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, that is you, become a Christian, but also all who hear me this day would become Christians and they might become such as I am, except, of course, for these chains. It's amazing. Chapter 28, verse 16. And when Paul finally came to Rome appealing to Caesar because he knew he wasn't worthy of capital murder. He was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And he wants to speak to the Jews in that area. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Ah, so there's fame spreading. Not good fame, infamous, but at least fame. This group, this sect, the way, Christians, the church. And when they had pointed a day for him, verse 23, they came to him, to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Does that remind you of the Great Commission? Some of them believed and some of them doubted. God knows. God determines. And here's what Paul says, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. 
And then do you know what the New Testament epistles then become? I and mean, we've just seen the history of it. That's, that's the church, and the church is developing churches like that Antiochian model, Acts 13, sending out the brothers, establishing churches, and the New Testament epistles become the manuals for how the church ought to operate. That, that, that my friends, in one sermon is the history of churches developing churches. Oh, and there's a whole lot more to it. I mean, if you, for instance, were, go to, were to go, and we don't have time, Philippians chapter 1, you'd see a reference to overseers and deacons, elders and deacons. There's form and structure there. If you were to look, for instance, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 16, you would find not only the idea of the qualifications for an elder and for a deacon, there's more form, more structure that's being laid, you would also find that in 1 Timothy 3, near the bottom of that section, you would find that it says that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. So now the church, foundation being laid, Acts 2.20, it's the apostles and the, uh, Ephesians 2.20, the prophets and the apostles laying that foundation, and you have the church of Jesus Christ, and it's growing and it's flourishing, even in the midst of persecution, and you have God blessing, and you have elders and deacons being formed, and you have ministries occurring, flourishing to God's glory. And you go all the way to Titus 1, and he gives also by Paul's behest qualifications for elder. And then Paul says to him explicitly, Now I want you to set in order what remains, and that you appoint elders in every city. That's structure. That's form. That's churches developing churches. Now, I can't state it any better than what the Bible states it. We have a mandate, my friends, a mandate. In fact, this message, as you can tell, is so much in my bones that when I heard a message from my friend John who said, I want for the last part of the legacy of my ministry to do this in multiplied fashion and do it intentionally and aggressively and rapidly because time is running out. And I heard that message. And I said to myself, it's not only true for you, it's true for me too. I've got... Maybe 20, 25 years probably of active, detailed, aggressive, visionary ministry. I'm 50 years old. How long is it going to be for me? What are we going to do? The mandate is clear. Churches, developing churches. You want to know how a local church starts? By following just how the church began. And you want to know how it starts and functions in a way that gives God glory? You want to know about the unity of the church? You want to know about the gifts of the church, the service of the church, the ordinances of the church, the discipline of the church, and so much more? Well, stick around for the rest of this series, because that's what we're going to study. And this is what we need to lay as a foundation, not only here, and to raise up more elders, and to teach them, and to mature them, and then to equip them, just like Jason Vaden, and just like Danny Games, and just like others, and then send them out to the four winds so that churches are developing churches. It is our mandate. It is clear. It is apostolic. And we have no option. Now, how you do it aggressively and how you do it from one church to the other will certainly vary. But in the end, churches develop churches to the glory of God. You say, well, I understand that. I got that. But I'll let that be to the professionals. No, no, no. Don't think like that. I'm calling on all of you today to be pagets for Christ. Not, not maggots, right? Not pagans. Pagets for Christ. P-A-G-E-T-S. Right? Write this down. Write this down. Here are these principles, six of them, that you can apply personally, individually. This is how you can apply the sermon today. And the first, the P, pray. Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send you as a worker into the harvest. Wherever it may be, whatever calling, whatever design, whatever description, whatever it is, pray. Even if you're an, an old person, a very old person, you say, I can't physically do that, but you can pray. And you could pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into the harvest. Secondly, ask. Ask the Lord if the workforce should include you.
Ask the Lord that question. Ask the Lord. You're a young person. You're a young man. You might assume you have a whole lot more years than I do. And that's probably true. Ask the Lord. Are you sending me into the harvest? Am I a preacher? Evangelist? Missionary? Send me, Lord. I ask you to send me. I want it to be your will. And if your will is for me to do that, that's my will. And nothing will stop me from it. I ask you, God, to put me in a place of optimum blessing for the church. That's ask. Thirdly, give. Give of your time and your resources for the harvest fields of the world. Pray, ask, give. Fourthly, evangelize. Evangelize those around you as your personal commitment to the Great Commission. That's what you can do. You can say, you know, I prayed about it. I asked the Lord. I'm giving Him my resources. And I don't sense that the Lord is calling me personally. Well, then evangelize in the sphere of influence around you. Your workplace, your school, your home, wherever it is. Evangelize as your personal commitment to fulfill the very great commission that Jesus gave His disciples and in turn the disciples gave to us. Fifthly, teach your children. Teach your children. Teach your grandchildren gospel truths about what their role is in the grand plan of sovereign redemption. Let me ask you, what is your place in history? Now, let's change that. That sounds, when I use the word history, like a secular term. What is your place in his story? What is your place in his story? Where are you in this grand birthing of Pentecost to now? Where do you fit in the spectrum? Where are you? What's your plan? What's his plan for you? Where are you? What what is the plan of God for my life? Everybody ought to be asking that question. Teach your children from your example. And then lastly, serve. Serve the Lord with your whole heart and serve the church which He purchased with His very own blood. Really? Be a, be a packet for Christ. Pray, ask, give, evangelize, teach, serve. Do that which God is glorified in. If I can borrow the title of Josh Harris's book, Stop Dating the Church. Get involved. Intimately involved. By praying and asking and giving and evangelizing and teaching and serving. And you'll find out what your place is in His story. Let's bow together. Father, we are so very grateful that You have called us into the church of Jesus Christ. And we see this long line, this succession of the church through the ages, 20 centuries and beyond. And we do ask, Father, what is my place in His story? What is my role? I pray, I, I ask, I, I give, I evangelize, I teach, I serve... I want to. I want to do it more. I want to do it to an optimum level. And then, Lord, I want to see if you would send me out into the harvest. Maybe you would use me as a worker who would help develop another church. Thank you for Jason Vaden and for Danny Games and others who are developing a church in the Argenta area of North Little Rock. And Thank you for the Bible Church of Cabot and the Bible Church of BB. And, Lord so many others multiplied throughout the world. And I pray even this morning for this new ministry initiative at Grace Community Church, Grace Advance. And I pray that we will provide leaders for developing churches throughout this country and around the world. The time is short. There's an urgency, Lord. May we work and work while it is day. For night comes when no man can work. May it be so, Lord, for Your glory and for the salvation of the ends of the earth. 
and for the establishing and for the glorifying of your church, the church for whom Christ died. We pray in His name. Amen. As the men come before us, it is so appropriate to celebrate the Lord's table. If you confess in your heart right now, regardless of whether you're a member of the Bible Church or not, if you confess in your heart right now, I'm not fired up about this. I, I, don't, have the, I don't have the desire. I don't have the strength. I don't have the will. Oh, I pray that you would confess and say, Lord, give me some sense, some sense of my role. And as the church and the leadership helps me in my role, I want to get on fire. I want to use the rest of my life. Whatever you've given me, whatever time and resources I have, I want to get involved. So use this time not only as the celebration of the Lord of the church, but use this time as a time of confession that I haven't been as involved as I know I ought. And then say, Lord, use me from this day forward as we celebrate the Lord's table. Men, you distribute the elements. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we want to be used. Use us as we sing now. And let us pray and ask and give and evangelize and teach and serve in a way that you would be most pleased so that your church is strengthened and multiplied around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.